Welcome to Shooting for the Stars, a podcast series brought to you by Southern Cross Business Advisors, helping our clients identify and achieve their life goals. Yes, we're saying goodbye to winter, finally. We're going to get some warm weather now as we hit the spring months and work our way through to the wonderful summer months and enjoy that wonderful sunshine. Louis Bulzami back with you for another edition of Shooting for the Stars. Always great to have your company wherever you're getting your podcast fix, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the Podcast Index, rss.com, or if you can find us on any other platform that we happen to be on, great, subscribe to that one as well. I'm really looking forward to uh, what we're talking about today and definitely who I am talking with today. Now, you may think that trademarks can be a little bit blasé, a little bit boring, but absolutely not when we've got the trademark expert along here to join us. She is the Principal Trademark Attorney at Poynton Partners and has over 20 years in brand marketing and has been a trademark expert for the last 12 years, Bin Rye. Welcome, Bin. Thank you very much, Laurie. Thank you for having me on your show. No, it's an absolute honour. We had you a couple of weeks ago internally for our own professional development session. I was so blown away. I said, I have to get you on to uh, talk to our clients. So I'm glad you've uh, been able to give up your time for me. Thank you. Let's let's um, let's delve into trademarks today, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to um, giving my um, expertise to your clients today. No, we cannot wait. It's going to be a magnificent episode. And look, before we get going, let's just give you a bit of a, a backstory on Bin. Uh, we could be here for hours. We could have our own podcast series about how much she has done, not just in the trademark world, but just in life in general. But just a little summary. She's not your ordinary trademark attorney. She's able to provide guidance to business owners and corporations about their branding structure, as well as provide advice on the trademarketability of a brand name. So not just simply, all right, here you go, here's a name, get the protection, away you go, but also whether or not that name's going to actually work and fit your brand and be catchy for your clientele. Now, Ben, you mentioned that your purpose is to ensure that your clients avoid wasting time and funds on launching a new brand if the brand name that they have chosen is not available to be used due to another party owning the trademark registration. And you also have plenty of qualifications, a Master of Business in Marketing and also a registered trademark attorney with over 1,100 trademarks filed yourself, not just your firm point and partners, yourself personally, 1,100 trademarks during your time as a trademark expert. Amazing. Thank you. I, I really, um, I remember every single trademark too. Wow. <laughs> Even better. How's that for photographic memory? I thought I was uh, pretty good in that field, but nothing compared to you. Like I wouldn't be able to remember the last tax return I put together, which oh, I don't know how that confident the clients might sound with that, but uh, every single one from number one to 1,100 is amazing. So, uh, and before we get into the nitty-gritty of trademarks, how about this? Singing your car with the music on full blast. Don't we all love to do that, hey? Uh, I, when I'm visiting, like trying to get from A to B to the client meeting, uh, I have the radio blast full and uh, loving love singing to songs that I know. <laughs> Indeed, and uh, I'll tell you what, uh, look out the voice, look out Australia's Got Talent. Uh, if we see Bin Rye on there, you know why. Uh, anyway, so the aim of today is obviously to educate uh, our clients and obviously clients in waiting regarding trademarks and whether or not trademark protection is right for their business. So first things first, probably yeah. the easiest question of the lot, and we may as well ask it, what is a trademark? Well, 
A trademark can be anything that is associated with your brand that you market to your clientele. So your brand could be a, a letter, a number, a word, a logo, a phrase. I mean, just do it by Nike. That's a famous phrase that's been trademarked. Um, you can even trademark packaging. You know, the McDonald's Happy Meals are, are trademarked. Uh, scent. You can um, trademark a smell. Uh a shape, uh, Toblerone chocolate bars uh, in the supermarkets, they're, trade, they're a uh, shape trademark. Uh, you can trademark a colour uh, or colours, so the uh, yellow and black in the Commonwealth Bank, the orange, green and red in 7-Eleven, and the most famous Cadbury chocolate purple. So, again, um, very difficult to trademark. However, you can trademark a colour. Um, yeah, I would have thought it was difficult to do that. It is. It is yeah. very difficult. But if you've built a brand um, and people visually can recognise a colour, let's say with the chocolate to purple to cabaret, then it's a valuable trademark to have. And more recently, because of the internet and all the um, uh, multimedia uh, um, technology that we have, you can even trademark a movement or or sound oh. as well. So. Century um, twenty, 20 uh, Century Twenty One Fox have every time you go see a movie they've got the intro music that's been trademarked yes. as well. So so Classic. you can trademark all of those aspects um, of your brand if you choose to. And it's also like the the all time greatest ring announcer in boxing and also in wrestling, Michael Buffer, trademarking. Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So no other ring announcer can ever use that unless they have uh, got the funds to pay Michael his royalties. So that's, a, that's amazing how many things you can trademark. Uh, but what are the things you can't trademark? Surely a letter, like the letter A, wouldn't be able to be trademarked. Well, or it just or, or depends. Or can it? Like... Or can it? Yeah. Uh, no, we can. Um, so the 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 letter that's probably most famous is the Boston B, you know, the bat baseball uh, yes. The baseball uh, team in America, Red Sox. Yeah, um, they've been able to trademark the the B. And um, it, as I said, it just depends on how, if the uh, logo is distinct. It, and you probably can't trademark the word, the letter B in the word form, that, but yeah. probably in yep. an illustration form. Yeah, yes, that's because what, what you've got to remember. Yeah, that yes. Yep. So it, I, I think be very difficult but it really depends on the circumstances as well so each uh brand has to be looked at for its merit and where and what classes of protection they um would want to protect it uh, for so so i'd say for that as a through a rule of thumb probably not a letter yeah. a or or b on its own but um if you really want to use it and you you want to explore how you can use it, then it's probably best to check the trademark register and, I guess, check with a trademark expert um, to, to see if you can get it. Or just simply ask yourself. <laughs> ask, ask sure. sure. I'm happy yeah. to take calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I guess it, obviously uh, it makes perfect sense in, in that way. So the Boston yeah. B in their logo, yes. if you've got something similar to that, that's a no-go. But if you've got a, if you want to yeah. utilise a B and it can be very distinct from that, you might have half a chance, but then there's still a lot of legal loopholes to even get that up and running. If you had a B yourself in your brand, okay, the, mm. word, the letter B in and of its own on a black and white piece of paper, that's fine. But if the logo mm. is far too close to what Boston already have, then you could be in trouble. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. All right, so yes, going on from that uh, trademark, as mm. you, know, you would think uh, from a layman's point of view, that it would just mean protection of you know a, a logo, a brand, or an idea that you that you've got. Uh, how many protection classes are there available in order to uh, firmly protect that brand to make sure no one can get it? Okay, well there are th um, there are forty five classes of protection. Uh, you don't need all of them, of course. Uh, they're just for different industries or different, um, uh, yeah, depending on what you're wanting to uh, protect it for. Uh, out of the 45, 34 are product-based uh, protection classes and the 11 services-based uh, uh, classes. And the classes are, they don't actually make any sense if you don't understand how trademark works. So in one class, you may have, well, I'll give you an example. In one class, class 45, there are legal services in that class 45. However, in the same class, you've also got tarot card reader services in there as well. So, so the classes aren't really meant to make any sense. It's really there as a classification, which was derived from um, a, the Nice uh, classification overseas, and in Australia we have adopted 45 classes of protection. And depending on your business, uh, you may need one or you may need a number. Uh, I can illustrate by saying if you were a, let's say, a window manufacturer, uh, you know, manufacturer of windows for houses, uh, you may need potentially three classes. One for the window itself, the brand for the window. Uh, yep. The second mark could be for the selling and wholesaling of that product. And the third class uh, is also to maintain and provide aftercare services for those windows. Mm. So in that scenario, you've got, you, you're looking at three trademarks um, that you may acquire. However, if you're, uh, just say you're a candy store uh, in uh, Mildura, uh, and you've only got one store, well, you may, you definitely only need one trademark, which is the, um, you know, the, the, the retail and wholesale um, class. Uh, because unless you actually produce your own candy um, under that brand, you don't actually need a product class. You only need a service class because you're selling candy. So, right. it, again, it depends on what business you're in. Um and, yeah, it depends on how many um, classes you may need to protect your brand. Yeah, and there certainly wouldn't be anyone who have to use all 45 unless they're a very high-level complex No, business. I don't. <laughs> no, imagine that. I don't think anyone in the world has got 45 classes. <laughs> yeah, so how, what's the most you've ever experienced out of all the trademarks you've personally filed that uh, a particular business has needed? Oh, I'd say probably about eight classes. Eight, yep. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a and, high it, and, and the yeah, the reason for that is that they may have like a, a, a physical um, business, but they may be producing innovative apps or or offering other services that are complementary to their business. So therefore, uh, you know, they may want to um, apply for that that app. So uh, I've got consultancy firms that consult, you know, to businesses. But they've created an app that measures the profitability of a business. So they would look at trademarking that app 
um, for downloadable and non-downloadable software. Uh, and also the other thing that you can look at is whether you decide if you want to trademark a logo or the word mark because they're two separate trademarks. So, for example, with McDonald's, McDonald's would have a trademark for the word, but as you know, they've got that uh, the M symbol that they have on their restaurants, the and notches, they yep. trademark that as well. The Mac is, uh, yep, the the Mac is symbol, and that's considered a different uh, type of trademark because it's a illustration or. In technical terms, we call it a device in the Trademark Act, uh, but essentially you either can uh, trademark a logo or a word, or you can trademark both if you've got the funds to do so. So there you go. So if you really want to go the full-on protection, you've got certain uh, classes, but also levels of protection that you can really go for. So um, you either take mm. the risk and go, all right, just go for the simple one, or the core one that you really need, or you know, if you really want to lock it away, Pay a bit extra and mm. lock that away with, with extra ones, unless you're legally required to have more than one or two. No, no, okay. you're not legally required. It's it's really up to the the, the, the clientele what they want to protect. Yeah. But th there's one thing I'd like to uh, mention because it's a great segue that uh, into this is that trademarks are not like domain names. You can't uh, mm. like with domain names. There's lots of people that go out there and purchase a lot of domain names and cyber squat those names in trademarks. You actually, if you apply for a trademark in that particular class, you actually have to use it. If you cannot demonstrate evidence of use um, over five continuous years, someone else could come along and revoke your trademark. Okay? It yep. doesn't matter how small or big you are. The law says that if you don't use a registered trademark within a particular period of time, somebody else can come along and ask for it to be cancelled. And one great example was a couple of years ago, um, McDonald's in Europe lost their trademark for Big Mac in the restaurant class. And so when this news came out, a lot of people um, that don't understand trademarks go, oh, my God, how did McDonald's lose the Big Mac you know, trademark in Europe? And the way I simply explained it to them was, well, they've actually lost the Big Mac trademark for restaurants and i've asked everyone have you ever seen a big mac restaurant opened anywhere in the world um, and the answer was no mcdonald's have never opened a big mac restaurant so therefore by them obtaining registration for big mac in uh, class 43 for restaurants uh, they were really trying to I guess, um, obtain that trademark to deter others from using it. Yeah. However, legally, they didn't use it and someone actually was big enough to take them to court and they did successfully revoke that trademark. So Supermac, yeah. which was a burger restaurant in Ireland, actually took McDonald's on in Europe because they actually wanted to expand into Europe mm. and the Big Mac restaurant um, trademark was preventing them from going there. So, so they dealt with it and they... Um, took McDonald's record um, and their Big Mac restaurant was revoked. Uh, the other thing that I have to say was wow. McDonald's really responded in a very clever way. They they actually had a press release that said, yes, it's true, we, we've lost our Big Mac 
trademark and restaurants, but we're appealing and we are giving everyone notice that if they start calling their or if they start opening up Big Mac restaurants anywhere, we will sue you for passing off. <laughs> so there are other laws besides trademarks that the big corporations could threaten you with. And so therefore, um, yeah, so trademarks really oh. are just one part of your brand protection you've got passing off laws as well, which are normally under common laws. So. Yeah, so you go from trademark law to gimmick infringement all of a sudden. So, uh, yeah, they, they've got it really down pat with the burger, but not the mm. actual building that the, that makes mm. the burgers. So there you go. So mm. uh, well under Supermac mm. for challenging them. That's a, that's pretty gutsy to do that. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, amazing. Um, so uh, so I, yep. I guess um, I think at this point we're talking about what is a trademark, but – a lot of people tend to ask, well, why do I need a trademark? Yeah, why is it okay? important? Yep. Yeah, why is it important? Well, without a trademark, you actually do not have the legal rights to your brand. You know, a trademark allows the trademark uh, allows the trademark owner to continuously use their brand in the marketplace without fear fear of trademarking uh, disputes or infringements in future years. It's a valuable asset that is able to be sold, assigned, or licensed. And that's critical because a lot of people start their business uh, because they've got a company name or a trading name or even just a domain name, and they start promoting their products or services without actually knowing whether they're able to do that. And if you're lucky, you would have chosen a name that doesn't infringe. However, there have been many cases through my 12-year career in trademarks that I've seen, um, you know, someone setting up a company and within two months being asked to change their name by by the trademark owner. So, so it's you know, you're really taking a chance of um, whether your business will be disrupted in the future uh, in terms of your branding if you don't own a trademark from the very start. Yeah, well, there's one example that comes to mind. This is not an Australian one. This is again worldwide, but I guess on the the back of the Big Mac Super Mac one, we can look at it from a global mm. perspective. Uh, the yeah. World, yeah, the World Wrestling Federation, so WWF versus the World Wildlife Fund, also WWF, and there was oh, a yeah. battle over the, the trademark mm. rights to the initials WWF, which eventually the mm. fund won that out and the wrestling organisation changed to World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE. Mm. Mm. And that just shows you that a trademark has power beyond... Um, with how big your organisation is at the end of the day. Yeah, and from what I remember quickly um, in summary on that one was uh, there was rights to use it, I think, in the United States alone, but then Vince McMahon, mm, the, uh, mm. the former CEO now, still chairman of uh, WWE back in NWWF, uh, decided, well, he's yeah. you know, got the, the brass to just go globally. He, he expanded throughout the 80s, and st- especially into the 90s, and became a global brand. And, uh, yeah, one yeah. of the agreements I think they had back in 1994 from best of memory was, uh, okay, mm. you can do it in the United States, is what Wildlife, Wildlife Fund said, but don't go any other country. And, of mm. course, he did. And then uh, eventually they settled out of court in 2002. He said, all right, I'll uh, switch to WWE mm. and, and away we go. So that's one that definitely comes to mind mm. uh, for me personally, given mm. a wrestling fan, remembering the, the battle over the initials. Um, we've actually got a local example, Louis. Yes, um, go for it. Hun- uh, Hungry Jacks. I mean, yes. I think in t- initially it was it's the Burger King brand that that mm. was um, supposed to come out to Australia. However, right. someone actually owned the trademark for Burger King, and it actually stopped Burger 
Burger King from coming over here and it yes. and it then locally was rebranded Hungry Jacks. And they've actually had so so much success with it that they've actually, even though the trademark for Burger King has lapsed, they've actually continued with Hungry Jacks. They haven't really been bothered with wanting to re rebrand back to Burger King. because no, I remember But it looks like yeah. Burger King, doesn't it? It, 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 what, it tastes like Burger King. Everything's all the same because in Mildura, well, funny you bring that up, Ben, because in Mildura, when they first opened the Hungry Jack's shop, it yeah. actually was Burger King. That was about 2003, 2004. Oh, I remember right. that growing up. Yeah, so okay. it, it had Burger King for at least a year or so. Then, because I remember yeah. going to obviously the, the cities and seeing Hungry Jack's and thinking, well, that's all, we don't have yeah. that in Mildura. We only got McDonald's and KFC. And then I think Red Rooster came on a bit later. Then Burger King yeah. opens up. I go, okay, so we've become Americanized now because I always thought that's yeah. the American version. But then a year later, no, it's, no, it's, the same it's the same company. Exactly yeah. right. Just the, the Australian arm of it. Well, it could have been yeah. that, that the person that owned Burger King initially had lapsed it and then they thought, well, maybe we could rebrand it again to Hungry, uh, sorry, to Burger King. But mm. but I think when they first launched in Australia, it was Hungry Jacks. Yes, but back it in had the 70s. Yep. It, I mean, when you look at it, all the – marketing looks very similar to Burger oh, exactly. King. All they've done is really just put Hungry Jacks or the franchises, the, you know, the, mm. the um, how they're marketing it, uh, you know, the Whopper, everything was the same except that at the time when they wanted to come to Australia, somebody else actually owned the trademark for Burger King mm. and they were able to to basically re force a big brand, a global brand to rebrand re in a know. local market. Yeah. So, Amazing, Again, that. power to the trademark. Yeah, power to whoever had the foresight to <laughs> snap it before they came to Australia. Amazing. So, uh, but just before we uh, segue on to how yeah. uh, long the process is, while we're on the topic of yeah. Hungry Jacks and their creative marketing, yeah. uh, the Big Jack a few years ago to mock the Big Mac. Oh, yes. <laughs> Back in 2020. Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is the thing with anything with trademarks. It, ultimately, you can push something through if you've got enough funds to fight it <laughs> and to also promote it so unfortunately did. that is the case unfortunately i've got a lot of small business owners and i also we say to them sometimes when you you know when, when you uh, get a trademark for your own business it's actually not really to sue anyone it's really to protect yourself for mm. ongoing continuous use of that brand without anybody else bothering you okay yep. so the, the big boys tend to like to either copy each other and then if they can't get the trademark, they'll then uh, do, you know, uh, explore other avenues and ultimately we'll let the big boys play that game. But, mm. but if I, but, but I'm always amazed why the marketers do that when they really can sort of, uh, you know, each of the brands have got their own distinct marketing. Surely they don't need to copy each other. <laughs> no, not at all. And then they try and distinct, okay, yeah. Uh, the old tagline, the burgers are better at Hungry Jackson Santa, all right? This is how much better this one is versus yeah. the Big Mac and how it's not the same, That's but right. same, same, but different. It was the same. I mean, look, I'll, I'll admit uh, and I'll say I'm, I'm guilty with the odd uh, junk food pleasure every so often. Maybe yeah. More than, than often. Uh, I probably shouldn't uh, say it too late. So which burger do you enjoy ones. more? Which one do I enjoy more? <laughs> Yeah, Hungry Jack or McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> well, consider, considering I'm uh, the host of uh, SEN Saturdays in Sunraysia for SEN Track and McDonald's mm. is a major sponsor, I better say McDonald's, <laughs> but uh, just quietly KFC is my favourite. Um, <laughs> oh, KFC. <laughs> out, out, of the, out of the whole lot. But, uh, but look, well, we better not pick on McDonald's any further then. <laughs> no, not 
<laughs> Absolutely not. Look, well, we're really day, not picking on them. We're just no. we're just presenting facts. That's it. Exactly. What's already out there? So they can't sue us for that. Yeah, that's, that's sure. already out there. Um, okay. But look, I do remember tasting the Big Jack when it first came out and going, "Come on, yeah. Hungry Jacks." I mean, that's clever what you're doing, but you know, it's just a rip off at the end of the day. But it still tastes yeah. good. Still tastes good. So good. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So um. So so how long does is the trademark process overall from starting to think about what you want to trademark to eventually getting the official trademark, the little TM next to your brand oh, yeah. logo or name? So from the time you apply for it and it gets approved, so the process takes about eight months if there's no issues. Uh, a standard trademark, uh, you file it, takes six months for the examiner to look at it unless you expedite the expenditure. Uh, expedite the ex examination process. However, that doesn't actually speed up the whole eight months process. It just speeds up the examination process. And then there's a two month opposition uh, period where it gets the trademark application gets advertised in the Australian Trademark Journal uh, for anyone to object to that application. Uh, and the reason for that is that that's a general rule around the world that you apply minimal time for it to sit with any trademark office is about six months. Uh, and anyone really that has um, an issue with someone applying for that particular brand can write to, I, you know, in our case, IP Australia, uh, to say I'm objecting to this particular application. Uh, and then that process kicks in. Uh, and if that process kicks in, then the, the trademark can take up to, I don't know, one to two years or sometimes even three years, depending on if you can um, find a solution to the dispute um, or the opposition. So the standard trademark should, with no issue, about eight months. Overseas, uh, you're looking at 12 months to two years. So you've got to really plan ahead. And especially with overseas, you really have to check if that brand is available or not. Because as I say to my clients, uh, no wishful thinking or no no um, research behind that name will be very costly because a trademark in the US is about four and a half thousand Australian dollars plus GST. Yep. Uh, and if the examiner does not approve it in America, you lose that four and a half thousand wow. plus GST and yep. you've lost it. But yeah, non-refundable and you lose about 12 months. Um, so ultimately, if you're going overseas, exporting, it's really important that you check first before you do anything. Uh, and it's also really important because imagine you send a, I don't know, container load of products of that, that particular brand and you start selling it and you infringe on somebody. You Not only do you get sued, but you might have to destroy that product that's already there in America. So, so you know, it, it's, um, yeah, Exporting overseas is really important that you really do need to take a little bit step backwards and just check that, that then the brand that you want to use there is available. And really, um, it, you can check by using Google, by using a trademark database. Um, but, but, yeah, you do really do have to do your research. Absolutely. And uh, um, it'll cost a lot more than just that four and a half grand of the trademark application itself if you don't get it right. Yeah. That, that's yeah. correct, yeah. So definitely if it's going to cost that much to just go for the trademark alone, why not spend that little mm -hmm. bit extra, especially time on top of uh, just money yeah. to ensure that if that's what you want, you're going to definitely get it. Mm. So no, fair, yeah. absolutely yeah. fair point, Bin. So um, once you get the trademark, then I think we may have touched on it just a tiny bit earlier, but just to go in a bit more further detail, 
how long does that uh, registration last? Because I know you mentioned a couple of examples where trademarks did lapse based on uh, inability to show proper use of oh. the trademark, but are there other yeah, re yeah. reasons for trademarks to then lapse? Is there a proper time frame or, or a concrete time frame for how long a trademark lasts? Well, generally a trademark in most countries lasts for 10 years from the time of filing or the time of application. And um, the only, um, there's a few things that could happen during that 10 years, someone could revoke your trademark or maybe at the end of that 10 years, you decide you're not running that business anymore and you just don't want to pay the renewal fee. Um, and I'm just trying to think. And there are odd times where, let's say, a trademark is registered. Uh, and I believe in some countries there might be up to a year where a uh the the person that wants to revoke it and they've missed that two month period of objection, they they potentially could ask the trademark um, office to investigate uh, why it was approved in the first place. Because sometimes, as we all know, we're all humans. Uh, examiners are humans. Something could have been amiss, uh, and something that shouldn't have been approved was approved, and the party that's um, not. Um, is objecting, uh, missed that period of objection, there is a small avenue where they can go and ask um, for that trademark to be reviewed again. But it's very rare, uh, those cases. But um, it's, it's, it's something that it is available to um, the party that are um, not happy with that trademark being um, registered. Okay, yeah. So it can vary, obviously, as you said, from country to country, but the stock standard you've seen in your time has been around that 10 years. Is there a, new, a renewal process annually to sort of keep that as well? Or is it like, okay, you've got that 10 years locked away, you don't have to pay for that again until it comes time mm -hmm. to renew it 10 years down the track? Yeah. So you, every 10 years, you're allowed to renew it forever. Yep. So the McDonald's, the Coca-Cola, the Lego, all, all those established brands can be renewed, um, you know, every 10 years. Um, and with the logo mark, it's really important to know that if you change your logo, you actually have to reapply for a new mark uh, because you're not using the old mark again. So, so when those big companies refresh, like I know with Apple, they were Apple computers, they – Actually, their initial logo for Apple was with a tree, I think, with an apple and a computer around it. Uh, and then over the years, it had the, the iconic Apple with Apple computers underneath it with text. But now as we come to the most recent probably 10 years, um, everyone just recognizes the Apple on its own with the bite in it. Yeah. So, so logos can um, evolve over decades or years. And it's just a matter of making sure that you've got the right protection for that logo. Yeah, and and that's a very great example of the Apple One, how it's evolved over the time. I remember back as a kid buying the, the first uh, ever Macintosh Performer, 5260, mm. the big clunky cube. And, mm. Apple, and it was the Apple with the bite in it, but it had the colors of the rainbow on it. As opposed to now oh, yeah, when you see on yeah. the iPhones, it's just like the white logo or even the black logo. So mm. they would have had to have filed a new uh, trademark to change the colors, yeah? Uh, not, necessarily. not necessarily. If it's a okay. solid color, if it's a solid color, yes. Oh, no, no. If it's a solid color, no, because let's say they just trademarked the the, the Apple with um, logo and it was black, blue, you know, 
in one solid color. However, I'd say with the rainbow one, they probably would have to because it's it it has lines in it. Yeah, if, uh, yeah Louis. So so again, it depends on what the changes were. Yeah. But normally, if you file a trademark logo, it should be in black and white so that you can use any color you want. Yeah, making sure that's all covered at the start. To go, okay, we've got that flexibility to to uh, go around because you see certain brands yeah. as well. It depends on um, whether they want to promote uh, something special or there's a cause that's near and dear to them. They, they tend to temporarily change the colour of their logo or colour scheme and then go back to what their yeah. original logo is and then that shouldn't have any yeah. uh, legal issues regarding trademarks for that period of time when they're actually yeah. doing that promotion. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so we talked about a little bit where – Brands want to go into, or big businesses want to go into certain markets, uh, different countries, yeah. but realize, okay, well, that trademark's not available to us. For example, the Hungry Jack's one and also mm. McDonald's with the Big Mac and Super Mac. But can you obtain mm. an international trademark protection which gives you one size fits all for everywhere? Uh, it, there's no such thing as an international trademark. Trademarks are per country uh, and per class. So... Yeah. If you are operating in Australia, you get a trade a trademark or trademarks in Australia. If you're going to go to America, you have to also register there. So it's per country and it can be very expensive um, for small business. So I often say to clients, only choose the countries that you're really going to commercially, um, you know, do well in because there's no point um, – going to countries and trying to protect the brand if that the revenue there isn't going to give you a return. So, yeah, so trademarking overseas is, I guess, more of a budgeting thing because it yep. can get very costly, yeah. Indeed. So there you go. So every country has their own specific rules. There's no one big treaty that everyone agrees to, which uh, which is fair enough, I think. Well, yep. the, the laws are pretty similar, but... There's localizations. Yeah. So the, in the US, um, in Australia, if you get it, if you obtain a trademark, the trademark office here does not really talk to you forever in a day after you <laughs> get, get it registered. However, in the US, every five years they do actually write to the to the trademark owners or to their agents and say, "Can you show us that you've used it?" Yeah. And if you can't, you can end up losing your trademark. And um, so you've actually got to submit usage there. And my feel about that is that maybe in America they're prolific with their trademark protection. And if you can imagine someone trademarks it but they're not using it, well, that's just, um, you know, uh, having a brand protected but it's not being used so somebody else should be able to use it. So so I think they're trying to avoid um, – people over trademarking a brand to yeah. stop others from using it. So it's almost like catch and release. You don't use it, you're going right. to release it for somebody else to use it. So. It's a bit like why we have metered parking in the cities. That way uh, everyone gets a turn. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, and, and I'd say maybe years to come, Australia might follow, but at this stage, mm. Um, you can claim broad term, like cl claim broad protection. In America, you've really got to be really concise about what you're protecting. In Australia, you can have broad protection. So yep. the laws are the same, but as I said, the localization and the way they interpret the laws uh, are just slightly different, I guess. 
Yeah, so a lot, lot more cutthroat in the US than Australia. I guess, yeah, much larger market. I'd say Italy. so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 52 states. How many states do we have? Six? Six states through territories, yep. And a couple <laughs> yeah. of little islands offshore as well that uh, claim to be their own sovereignty. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so I guess there's a, there's a lot more cutthroat over there than what it would be in their more laid-back, she-be-right mate Australia. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I think we've got the she'll-be-right. That's it, yeah. But uh, it's interesting that you bring up um, the more broadness with regards to protecting trademarks in Australia, Being Another one that's just come to mind now, yeah. Nick, Nick Giannopoulos and the Wog Boy saga. You remember that one? No? Well, you might have to walk me through that okay. one. Okay, yeah. So, um, so obviously Nick Giannopoulos... Uh, Fantastic comedian of Greek and or Greek heritage, and also you know prominent in the yeah. Greek and Italian communities, and also the okay the Wog community. I'm just going to say that out there. I know it's a derogatory yeah. term nowadays, but that's what we used to be labelled back in the day. I'm Italian myself, um, and he really uh, brought that uh, that to life with his movie alongside Vince Colosimo, The Wog Boy, back in 1999. They've spun off with a second movie. Now they're about to release a third one, um, but there are a few other comedians in that field uh one for example gabrielle rossi who um had uh, a few shows like a very woggy christmas and wogs out of work and, and the like and then a few years ago i think it was back in 2019 there was a current affair story that ran uh, where a big debate happened over the use of the term wog boy and that nick yeah. claimed well, well he says he didn't really make it out to be as bad as what gab rossi and that was saying that he claimed ownership to the term wog boy and it couldn't be used to promote other shows or movies by any other comedians or anyone else. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, that sounds more like a copyright thing. Um, yeah. While you were talking, I actually looked up the trademark register. There is a trademark for Wog Boys in the logo for clothing and entertainment. Okay. So, uh, there are, uh, however, it's just yep. the, the logo mark. So, he doesn't actually. Have exclusive to the word "walk boys" yes, because that was he, a big he obtained as well. a logo yeah. mark. Yeah, okay. yeah. They, so, so if you have a the, the word mark is the supreme trademark if you're ever going to lodge a trademark. Yep. Because when you lodge a word mark trademark, you have exclusive to that word within that class protection. However, with the uh, logo mark, you have the look and feel and partial protection for that word. Okay, yep. so the logo mark is more a look and feel, um, but the word mark is yeah, um, much more um, powerful in terms yeah. of protection. In this case, if they actually had a trademark for Wog Boys in the word, potentially they could stop other people from producing clothing under Wog Boys. Yeah. Um, so, yes. But, but not, it's not uh, the case of it's interesting. I, I grew up with yeah. that word too, but I yeah. – but I don't think my um, my kids know that word. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's probably skipped a couple of generations now. It's a 1980s thing, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, we wore like a badge of honor back in those days. I mean, I was born in 1988, but more my parents and and other ancestors that had to wear like a badge of honor. Then now it's of course fallen into more of the uh, okay. That's definitely a racist term, but um, but look, that's that's all fine. But yeah, back to that example. Cooler heads eventually did prevail, and and now that Gab Rossi can use Woggy and, and the like in his um, comedy shows and acts. So that's all fine. But um, but we will touch on a little bit later on before we wrap up about copyrights and yeah. whether there's confusion between yeah. the two and patents and things like that. So it's great that you bring up that it may well be more a copyright issue as opposed to a trade. But before we get there, though, yeah. do you believe, ben, yeah. um and yep. it could be um, retracing something that we've already said or going down a new path, 
Do you believe that business owners really do understand brand protection? No, I, I don't really think they do because I often have, uh, I, I go to a lot of uh, small business um, consultation, you know, committee meetings, and a lot of those networks tend to say to me, oh, I don't need a trademark. Um you know, I have a company name. Um, I've been trading for 20 years. I've got a trading name. I've got a domain name. So they sort of give me all these excuses. But that is a total myth in, in, in many sense that, that you know, it is false that a company name, a trading name, a domain name, or even sales history protects you legally if there's a dispute over the name. It really is only the trademark. If you have a trademark, then you're safe. But if you don't have a trademark, you're sort of still open to future infringements or having someone bother you in the future, depending if they've got a trademark. So the the I don't I don't believe the business community actually understands that uh, you know their company name does not offer them any protection. And yes, um, I do agree. You know, some people say to me, "Oh, I've had legal advice." Uh, uh, people say that I have uh, common law rights uh, of protection, so the first to use a brand. However, what they, they don't tell you is that um, that argument is very weak. Um, you've actually got to go to court, so you've got to spend a little bit more more money to 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 keep um, your brand um, using the excuse I was first to use it. But if you ha actually have a trademark, there's no dispute. The trademark gives you uh, the legal rights to that brand, okay? And the second thing I, I often hear from business owners is surely ASIC will not give another business a similar name to my business. And there's so many. I, I did an example um, at your training that I typed in ACE Construction and I think yeah. every state of Australia had a ACE Construction business um in their state and why has ASIC given that to them? You know, I, I can, I've actually got in front of me, Ace Construction Proprietary Limited, uh, Ace, Cons Ace Construction Ost Proprietary Limited, Ace Construction WA, Ace Construction New South Wales. So the thing is Ace is the brand or Ace Construction's the brand. And if someone actually had owned the trademark for Ace Constructions, they potentially could stop the others from popping up um, in the marketplace as that brand. So that that's so I, I I actually think that there's there needs to be a bit more education or somehow we need to uh, you know educate the business owners anyone that's starting up a new business and anyone that's currently have a business to look at whether they do currently own any trademark protection um, just so that they have peace of mind that if they're spending money time effort to build their brand and their reputation that they want to be to know that there's goodwill attached to it and that they can continuously use it without fear of infringement in the future so yeah no, i hope absolutely. that answered your question big time yeah it's completely mm. critical to have that and it goes back to the whole we are doing your research especially when you brought up the example of going to the u.s market it's important here yeah it might be a bit more uh, laid back and and sort of bland in, in this case, or more broad, I should say, yeah. um, but yeah. it's still critical to have that research in place to go, all right, well, yeah. we're going to go up with something like that and there's so many similar names, be prepared for it.
Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, look look at our case, uh, for example, Southern Cross. How many businesses are out there with the word Southern Cross in them? And they're not all accounting businesses, obviously. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure we're the only ones, but there's so many uh, different businesses out there, different industries that have Southern Cross in them. So mm. it could be a, a very similar example. So um, speaking of examples, let's now segue mm. into uh, a couple of case studies that you have for mm. us today, Ben. First of all, the Masashi okay. versus Asashi case, which you did touch on in our professional development session. Yes. So th th this um, case study really encompasses why someone, uh, you know, a, a, um, a business needs to trademark. So it was Musashi was owned by Nestle. Asashi brand was owned by a sole trader, James Christian. And he, he had started the business and was running it, you know, had his um, running it quite well and became successful. And Nestle decided that they didn't like um, his brand name. And so they uh, took him to court for brand infringement. And James, in his own wisdom, decided that he thought Nestle was wrong and that Asashi and Musashi were very different. Mm. So he took the gamble and he went to court with uh, against Nestle. So I'd say he was a very brave man. Yes. So anyhow, <laughs> these were the lessons from the court case, and I've um, tried to make it very simple so that everyone can understand. So in the court case, James said, I didn't know when I started the business that I was infringing on Musashi when I started Asashi, okay? The judge said, you can't claim ignorance as an excuse. Mm -hmm. James said, I have a domain name. I have a trading name. And basically, as I've alluded before, having those two items do not offer you any legal protection for the brand, okay? So the problem with not, um, uh, with, I guess, she'll be right attitude or she'll, um, when starting up a business is that when it comes to a court case, you are actually, your destiny is tied into one judge <laughs> to decide yes. if the brand is too similar or not. Okay. And the judge may not be a branding expert, but they're just applying the trademark legislation. Okay. So he put his hand by going to court against uh, Nestle uh, for the judge to decide if it's too similar or not. And unfortunately for him, that judge decided that he was infringing and that it, that the brands were too similar, okay? But the judge, um, as part of his um, advice when he gave the judgment, was to say James should have attempted to obtain a trademark for Asashi when he first established the business, because if he had a, attempted to apply for it, two things could have happened. One, the IP examiner would have said, no, it's too similar to Musashi, which meant that James should have maybe at that point find a new name. Or if he was lucky, that IP examiner would have approved it. He would have gone through the objection period with no objections and he would have had a registered trademark and been, let's say, trading for three years with a registered trademark. So if he had a trademark at the time that Nestle took him to court, Nestle wouldn't, ha wouldn't have had the ability to take him to court because he would have had the legal rights to the brand name Asashi for vitamins, okay? Yep. So those were the lessons learned. And unfortunately, he had to shut down his business. The cost of the business owner was he had to shut down his vitamins business. 
his initial investment of 200000 was lost and because he lost the court case, he had to pay some of Nestle's legal fees and he was very stressed and uncertain during that period of the court case. So ultimately, um, this um, example just shows you that if James had actually had the foresight to think about getting a trademark from the start, he wouldn't have known whether his business was going to succeed or not. But the fact was it did succeed. Um, and unfortunately, it was lost through to um, brand infringement. Okay. Um, yeah. The second case I wanted to, well, it's not really a case. It was more just to talk about social media because, as you know, so many social medias, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, you name it. Uh, the social media people do um, companies do not want to be infringing on anyone's brand. So they don't actually also want to get involved in any infringement actions. So uh, a couple of years ago, we had a client. Um, she was a cl uh, children's clothing uh, designer. You know, designed clothing for children. Had an Instagram account. Had twenty five thousand followers on her. Uh, Instagram account um, and a party that was selling deodorant had the same name as this this client and they wrote to Instagram and shut them down uh, because of brand infringement and Instagram doesn't want to get involved so they just said to the client do you have a trademark as well she said no so therefore they shut her down because she didn't have a trademark and she lost so from overnight of twenty five thousand followers to her site completely gone, oh. shut down, um, and we, she was forced to rebrand. We had to negotiate with the party that um, actually Instagram says you have to negotiate with the other party if you want your account to get back up, you know, to be reactivated. We had to negotiate with the other party. Um, luckily for us, they were willing to write to Instagram to tell them that they can reinstate the uh, handle for two days. The client had two days to change her Instagram handle um, so that she can keep her 25,000 followers. And in all of this, instead of her spending, let's say, 4,000 at the beginning for two trademarks, she ended up spending close to 12,000 to mm. get this all sorted, to get the uh, Instagram account back up and everything. And two months of lost sales as well, because it took two months for us to resolve it. So, so it's really important um, if you are an online business, uh, you rely on followers, that you do look at protecting your brand because, you know, you might go to sleep one night, your your account's live, the next day it's gone. So, so and the first thing they ask is, do you have a trademark as well? And if you don't, well, then you have to go through that whole process of um, negotiating with the other party. Yeah, which works in a very similar way from a social media perspective to uh, the copyright infringements, where the, especially in music, where the big boys like Sony and DMG and mm. the like, they come on and they find a, a mm. post or someone's got a music bed underneath and, uh, okay, well, hang on a minute, it's one of our artists. We don't like that. Take it down. And they uh, tell Facebook, they tell Instagram to tell you oh, yes. to do that. Yep. And then you want to try and fight and yeah. it, it hardly ever works. But uh, so, it's not, yeah. so it's same, same, but different yeah. in the trademark sense as well. If someone mm. is just kind of, going around and because in that particular example, that would have had to have been a public page as well to, mm. to attract all those followers. If they had been private, 
oh, they could have hidden away probably and extended a little mm. bit longer, but then someone would have just masqueraded as, oh, yeah, I'm a new follower. I love what you're doing. And being just that mm. little like, mystery shopper and investigated, hang, so hang on, they're infringing on us. So, uh, mm. yeah, so, so mm. that example there and, and also yeah. Masashi and Asashi, um, so that, that, it, it sounds like as well, and with what McDonald's had eventually said to, to Supermac, mm. uh, um, that they were borderlining being uh, passing off as well, mm. or uh, ripping off. Uh, yeah. It bring, brings back to another example going back 20 years, uh, Dick Smith and Temptons oh, yeah. versus Tim Tams. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was more um, so that was more a passing off battle? Well, yeah, but, probably, yeah. 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 A lot of those things are passing off. And you know who, Aldi stores, uh, I think their lawyers um, yeah. are top-notch in many ways because Correct. They, get, they get away with lots oh, of things. Oh, do they ever? And they, yep. They really sell very close to the sun, <laughs> but they, they. I think that there's there's an art to it, and they they do get away with it. So that that yeah, and, and I think as we said before, if you've got the money, you can oh, yeah. push something through. Yeah, and Aldi yeah. aren't short of a dollar. We know that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and neither and neither was Dick Smith back in the day too. He fought it as hard as he could to say no, no, Tim Tam, these Tim Tams, they're not Tim Tams. They taste very yeah. different. We it looked it, yeah, it's the old, yeah. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, talks like a duck. In that case, it tasted like <laughs> well, not duck, but. Definitely, uh, Tim right. chocolate, but uh, but you're right. In Aldi, yeah, yeah, it's amazing what they've been able to. Oh, quite unquote, oh no, get away no, with, they, but, but, they, yeah. no, they, they not. There's an art to it, and yes. uh, if I ever work for them, uh, I'm pretty sure they'll teach me how to do it. Too. Yeah, <laughs> massively, but yeah, because there hasn't been any uh, massive case going. Okay, we're going to take Aldi to court because they've, yeah. they've got the, the funds and the oh, know. No, I think to, there. I think. Well, there has been. Well, there has been. I think some of the big brands. I think some yeah. of the big brands have tried to take Aldi to court, but okay. they've um. They seem to spin some argument and use <laughs> that. They they do get away with it somehow. So mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder why many people don't eventually say, "Okay, maybe we will flock to them because even though the brand names are weird, we're not familiar with it. Maybe it does yeah. taste all right, and they're cheaper. Well, meant to be. So we'll go there. <laughs> very smart, Aldi. Very very smart. Yeah. So uh, so we mentioned about obviously the importance of having a trademark and protecting the brand yeah. and whatnot, but also. There's a huge importance placed on making that brand memorable and marketable. So you've got uh, about a list of yes. eight tips to be able to help yeah. create a memorable and marketable brand. Mm. Well, I've got eight tips that are called Ben's Top Eight Tips. And yep. um, essentially to create a memorable brand um, and, and also it's in um, respect to trademarking as well. So in you are unable to obtain a trademark if your brand is descriptive okay so if you are a town planner based in sydney and you want to call your business sydney town planner that's too descriptive you're not going to be able to get that trademark and plus it's boring and mm. you're not differentiating yourself to, um, to anybody else so you can, you're unable to obtain a descriptive trademark because other traders in your industry should be able to use those common words to to promote their their products um I, I read the other day um, the, uh, the first Lego bricks were launched as automatic binding bricks. <laughs> that was the brand wow. when they launched, automatic binding bricks. I mean, can you imagine that brand today? It, 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 it's not no. clicky. It's not memorable. Lego is so much more memorable. And that word actually, um, I believe, um, translates to play well. So – 
that is so much better than describing what it is. Play well is like alluding to what the product is. You know, when, when you play, even though they're Lego bricks or they're bricks uh, that you bind together, the, the function of it is that you have fun playing with it. So, so Lego, the 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 brand is a much m more memorable brand than um, than the descriptive uh, brand that they initially launched it at, uh, and also they've. They've been around for 90 years and Lego has established, well, first of all, it was a distinctive brand, Lego, um, and therefore they were able to protect it in the word and logo. And they've uh, built a reputation behind it over 90 years. I believe they're celebrating 90 years this year um, of the uh, launch of Le the, the Lego bricks. So, so yes, do not call um, your uh, brand a descriptive name because it doesn't do you uh, any favors in terms of promoting it. Uh, however, in saying that, sometimes SEO uh, digital marketers who say it, um, you know, a descriptive brands better, but they're only saying that because it makes their life easier to yes. be able to get you ranking for those keywords. So I just, uh, I just take the that advice with a grain of salt because really. Uh, all the brands that we know, Apple, you know, what's an Apple got to do with a computer? Yeah, what's Google got to do with search engine? What's Puma, which is an animal, got to do with shoes? So it's it's more about uh, distinctive, unique brands that are associated with, uh, you know, a quality product. And don't be afraid to give it a unique name because ultimately your reputation will build that brand. So don't be afraid. Uh, second thing is avoid copying somebody else's brand. <laughs> I've had clients go overseas, copy someone's brand and bring it back to Australia, and sometimes you're lucky to get away with it, but usually you won't be able to get away with it. So please avoid copying somebody else's brand. Avoid um, using personal names, whether it's a first name or surname, because they're the most difficult to trademark. Um there's been court cases against Kylie Minogue and Kylie Jenner. Uh, there's an upcoming court case between uh, Katy Perry versus Katy Perry, the singer. Yes. So there's Katy Perry fashion designer to Katy Perry, the singer. Um, so if possible, avoid uh, a name um, because it's hard to trademark and also hard to, um, to promote as well. Uh, avoid geographical locations in your brand name. So... Um, you know, New York hats or mm. uh, Melbourne shoes, you know, avoid those because a geographical location, other people should be able to say their yeah. shoes are also from Melbourne. So avoid that. And that's a huge, um, that's actually a huge debate around the world. Um, like uh, champagne, Australian wine producers cannot call their sparkling wine champagne because it's owned uh, as a geographical indicator uh, by um, the French, yeah. okay? So unless you've actually got history like the French do, <laughs> I'd say avoid uh, ge um, geographical location because Champagne is actually a region of France somewhere. So, mm. so avoid geographical location because they're very difficult to trademark. Uh, the other thing is, you know, when you've created your brand, um, ensure you obtain all the domain names, the, the desirable ones. If you're based in Australia, you may want a .com.au, a .com to look like your international, .net, 
.net.au and .sydney.melbourne. So just obtain those um, domain names because it, they're not very costly. Some of them are like 20 bucks, 70 bucks. But it's sort of, it's, if you can think about it, it's like um, securing your online uh, real estate. And um, it's, as I said, not very expensive. Uh, the sixth uh, tip is to invest money in a graphics designer or a marketing agency to create a distinctive logo. Um, you know, going to 99 logo platform to pay for a $99 logo is not a good idea because you've got copyright issues. But uh, but and not only that, that, you can be sure that somebody else has got the same image as you somewhere around the world. So you're really not distinctive. And it's re really important that if you do engage a graphics designer or a marketing agency that creates your logo, you must also ask them to assign you the copyright to that logo because just because you pay someone to design the logo for you doesn't mean that you own it. So it's really important that you ask for the copyrights. Uh, number seven, um, you really, the advice is try to trademark it before you launch the brand. But in many cases, um, you know, pe people can't do that because people are not, uh, well, companies are not that organized. But that is the advice is that you should try to secure a trademark first. Uh, before you launch it because you never know if someone's actually going to object to your application during that eight months. Um, and if you've already produced packaging and things like that, that you've already, you know, invested that money and you may have to reinvest it. So so I do recommend that uh, to have a distinctive brand and not to uh, waste um, any funds to establish it, try to get the trademark first before um, uh, you launch it. And once you have obtained the trademark, you've actually got to police it uh, because there's no such thing as trademark police out there going around going, you're infringing and you're infringing. There's you, you, The onus is on the trademark owner to enforce their distinctiveness in the marketplace. And that is the reason why big companies seemingly pick on smaller companies it's because they have to. They've actually got to protect their brand. There's been many cases of Starkia, Ikea taking a lady to uh, court over Starkia. She was making refurbished Ikea furniture and she just stuck at S-T-Y-L and then K-E-A. And, of course, Ikea took, said, no, you can't use it. Um, there was a Chanel, uh, sorry, number five chocolate um, in Adelaide, that Chanel um, luxury brand asked them to rebrand because, it, the, as we all know, the Chanel Number no. 5 perfume is very famous and they didn't want to be associated with a small chocolate um, brand in Adelaide, so they've asked them to rebrand. And, yes, it's terrible, but they have to actually enforce it or else their Chanel Number no. 5 brand will, will be less distinctive in the marketplace. And, really, the owners, like, if you're going to start a new brand, please do not even try to, to massage a name from a famous name or a famous brand because you're eventually going to get caught or they're not going to like it and then you have to rebrand later. And there's no point crying over it later because ultimately you probably did think about, you know, that, that brand popped in your head first and you thought, well, that's great, you know. But in the case of the chocolate fact, uh, company, they didn't actually copy Chanel, I don't think, because apparently they said that they were uh, on number five, whatever the street was in Adelaide, and that's why they called their chocolate number five, because they were at number five 
you know, um, street somewhere in Adelaide. So, but you know what? Chanel didn't care. Please rebrand, they said. <laughs> so those, those are my eight yeah. tips. If you're going to launch something, really find a distinctive name at the beginning. And if you use some of the initial, uh, you know, avoid names, geography, first names, um, don't copy, you should be fine. And really just to check that no one else is using it. So use Google, use a trademark register. And if you've done all of that, then that's great. Um, actually, there's a tool... Um, I'm trying at the moment on it's on, online. It's called Brandhub, uh, brandhub.ai. Uh, you can actually uh, sign up there and get a report. Uh, you know, if you're coming up with a, a, a name, um, but each report is about twelve hundred dollars to sort of search whether that brand you know exists anywhere in the world, and it's more of a trademark uh, search around the world. So. Um, so people are interested in um, checking that out and they're willing to pay for the report. It's um, brandhub.ai. So I've started using it myself at the moment uh, to aid me in my advice <laughs> to my clients. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I've just uh, brought up the domain now and it looks like it's just still in the, the beta phase. Which is yeah, it's in the beta phase. Yeah. It's still in the beta phase, but it's um, it's something that I, I've, I've actually signed up for the beta and, um, yeah. But I, I think clients can, uh, anyone can sign up for the beta at the moment if they want to as well. So oh, that's magnificent, Bin. I'm going to add another tip on top of the the eight wonderful yeah. tips. There, talk to you yeah. straight up. <laughs> they come to see us. Thank and they you. Want to get uh, their heads around trademarks. We'll say, Bin Rye is your person. So happy to happy for <laughs> anyone to look me up on LinkedIn. So it's B I N H R E Y, and there's only Bin Rye, only one Bin Rye on LinkedIn. Ah, oh, you've done due diligence and made sure of that. Yeah. So I'm just trying to find how many Louis Bulls Amy's are on there. I'm sure there's a couple. Yeah. Be floating well, around. Uh, but I'm, 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 the, I'm the authentic one. But yeah, it's only, it's only you're yourself. The there's no other bin rise in the world on LinkedIn. No, there isn't. Well, they, unless they actually married an Australian German, you know, <laughs> and combined a Vietnamese name with a with a, with a foreign surname. With a German name. There you, there you go. Well, you can, well, to ensure there aren't any other ones, you could. Uh, Trademark yourself? No, honey. Yeah, I could. <laughs> Actually, you know what, Louis? You know what's so funny? I I, I did this more of a joke because someone yeah. called me the queen of trademarks, <laughs> and I actually have trademarked the queen of trademarks. Oh wow, <laughs> love it! <laughs> I don't think anyone will try to use it, but just in case they do, I'm happy to call myself the queen of trademarks. <laughs> oh, that's sensational! Not too descriptive. They allowed that one through. No, it's not yeah. descriptive at all. Good stuff. You can See, be. Well, what, what should I be questioning? You, know, you, you can be the know? king of the accountants. <laughs> king, king of exactly right. But, but what? What would I even think of questioning you on that one? Of course, it's not descriptive because you did it yourself. <laughs> no, nah, sensational, Ben. And uh, look, I, I could okay. definitely. I'm, I'm absolutely loving this. I could definitely talk to you for uh, for hours on end, but I know your time mm. is very precious. So just before we yes, wrap up, um, yes. Now we, we touched on it briefly before, obviously, with uh, the Nick Giannopoulos Wild Boy example, whether or not that fell more into copyright than trademark. Yeah, Let's go yes. into that in more detail now. So can it be easy to confuse trademarks with copyrights and patents and also trade secrets? Uh, what what di distinguishes each of those terms legally? Well, so copyright is automatic. So the person who creates the work of art, whether it's a novel or a document, a film, music, you have automatic copyright in Australia. 
In other countries, you have to register it, but in Australia, it's automatic. And that really only protects you for the original work, so the copyright. So let's say uh, in the Wogboy case, the uh, the copyright would probably be in the um, the act itself, you know, the, the jokes. Um, yeah. uh, you can't actually... Uh, I believe you can't actually trademark um, um, a, n- a name of a show or, a, uh, let's say, a novel because it, it, that's actually and copyright more so than than trademarks. So copyright really is yep. like the content or that that's created by the uh, creator. Uh, and it differs from trademark because trademarks are used as a badge uh, to. Um, uh, you know, a badge where it identifies where the goods and services originated from, where copyright's more just the actual work of art itself, okay? So so it's not to potentially commercial uh, unless y- you uh, license it out for a play. You know, let's say a novel becomes a play or a movie. Um, with patents, uh, that is the protection of an invention. So anything that uh, um, that you've invented, I mean, Wi-Fi is a famous Australian invention yep. that was patented, and they had um, 20 years of exclusive monopoly of that um, that technology. So anyone that wanted to use that technology over that 20 years had to license it out. Uh, and unlike trademarks, patents are only given a 20-year monopoly, and then it becomes free for everyone to use. And the reason I believe for that is to encourage innovation. So imagine, let's say, if Henry Ford had an engine that he patented, that meant nobody else could um, improve that engine or produce something similar. So so with patents, it's more about giving someone, uh, you know, 20 years of monopoly over it and then releasing it out so that everybody else can learn from it and then improve on it. So a patent, yeah, if you can, um, if you've come up with something that's really unique and new and and you don't want anyone else to copy it as a product, then you will get a patent for it. And patents are much more expensive than trademarks, but very worthwhile if um, if if you were the first to invent it, you know, in the case of Wi-Fi. I mean, look at Wi-Fi. It's adopted everywhere around the world now. So, uh, And with trade secrets, well, the two most famous trade secrets are uh, the KFC herbs and spices and the Coca-Cola uh, syrup recipe. So no one uh, – so no one – no, not one person actually – knows the whole recipe because with trade secrets it's all about um i guess uh uh, contracts of employment you know if someone sees like i I was told by someone that with kfc you know there might be three people but that knows you know a third of each of the recipes or the ingredients and each of the different batches of ingredients are mixed up in three factories and then it gets then sent to one factory to then mix it all up Mm. so that at any one point not any one person except for the founder i'm thinking or the person who created the recipe we can't ask colonel uh, sanders he's been gone for a long time yeah yeah he's 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 long gone he's probably passed it on to uh family but but ultimately it's more of a legal process of making sure that um not any not one person actually knows the full recipe and even if they knew the partial recipe, uh, let's say an a, uh, employee that was 
part of the mixing. I mean, one person must know the three ingredients, you know, in one factory. If he ever told or was, um, gave that secret out, that company would sue him and his lot, you know, sue him for everything. So the fear of being sued for revealing the trade secret would stop anyone from actually revealing it. So, so that's another type of, you know, into, uh, IP protection is trade secrets where you put in a lot of different, um, I guess, legal contracts to ensure that that's, that secret doesn't get out. And the reason why people use that is that if, um, let's say, with Colonel Sanders, if he actually obtained a patent for the recipe, that means he's actually revealing the recipe to everyone. And after 20 years, we can all make right. KFC <laughs> chickens at home. I'll be the first in line. So, so in the case of KFC, it's still a secret. And Coca-Cola syrup is also a secret to this day. So those are the right. th other three types of um, intellectual property protection that com companies can um, uh, can look at. So Yeah. And Colonel Sanders' case, just uh, put that away into a nice safe, make sure that uh, the next generation of and generations of Sanders make sure that they don't yes. open that safe ever. Even they don't know. What, yeah, that's what, right. What yeah, spices are. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> <You> left, <laughs> yeah, the, the best kept secret in so, the world, I reckon. That recipe. Yeah, and, and McDonald's and the, sorry, the Coca Cola syrup, also. Yeah, because yeah. you're right. When different kinds of cola, especially in Pepsi's case, they're very different yeah. taste. Oh yes, I, I I must admit I'm a Coke drinker than I am a Pepsi Guilty. drinker. And... Yeah, yep. <laughs> I try and show love uh, between both, but yeah, Coke Coke does admittedly nah. win out. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good for us, Louis. No, it's not good no, for us no, no. We're, we're um, yeah, I mean, the great advice that you, you are giving, of course, generally in nature, as we know, uh, for the podcast, yeah, hopefully it doesn't offset with the advice about drinking Coke. Yeah. Because you and I are both guilty of that. So. Yes, that's <laughs> but, right. Uh, but hey, guilty pleasure. I mentioned about Big Jack yes. versus Big Mac. That was for research purposes. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't yep. eat it every day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, absolutely. Yeah. Again, I said at the top of the, Top of the episode, absolute honour to mm. have you on and, and for the time you've given up, Bin. Mm. Uh, look, we would love to have you again down the down the track for sure. Um, mm. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Larry. I've really enjoyed it. And I actually yeah. think that uh, we've gone over time. But anyway. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. There's no yeah. time limit. We packed it in. There's no time limit. There's so much to cram in. We've done well to keep it within an hour and a half, amazingly. Right. So, uh, like I said, it could be a whole series on trademarks and, yes. and you're no stranger to yeah. uh, being a guest or also a host yourself with many other podcasts and other shows over the journey so um including koshi's business builders so uh, again uh, even yeah. greater honor in that sense given that experience that you've had to to come on to shooting for the stars yeah well have a wonderful rest of the day and uh, and again thanks for having me on the podcast uh, ab absolutely no it's been uh, wonderful being uh, just before we go so you mentioned your linkedin yes. uh, you want to also give uh, point and partners a bit of a plug Yes. Uh, well, our point and partners were uh, uh, law firm um, with uh, practices in tax, employment, property, intellectual property, uh, litigation as well. We service clients in all industries and um, we've got um, three equity partners that have been uh, very experienced in many um, litigation matters and we welcome any inquiries if you've got any legal issues uh, to give us a call. Uh, we're based in Melbourne uh, in Burke Street and you can look us up on uh, pointandpartners.com.au uh, and look us up on LinkedIn as well. So, uh, yes, we... 
we are very um, uh, in open practice, um, happy to help any clients with any legal um, uh, inquiries. Now that's wonderful, Ben. So there you go, all the details that you need to know regarding Ben Rye and Poynton Partners, the ultimate experts in trademark law. Now, before I forget, .au. Hmm? You know, we have got .com.au, but now oh, it's just yes. .au. Yes, this is more of a public service <laughs> announcement, only because I'm not a domain name expert. But uh, it came across my desk that uh, in Australia, there's been a launch of a new domain um, um, name. So we all know .com.au, .net.au, and also .com. But there's actually a new domain name called .au. So if you currently have a .com.au, you should secure your .au uh, domain name with your domain uh, provider so you don't need to ring me you should just contact GoDaddy or crazy domain or hosting etc and just say to them I want to secure my .au domain name uh, and the reason I say that it's only 20 bucks a year uh, to secure it and it's just valuable online real estate that every company should really own because you just don't want another company being able to use uh, the .au. So, for example, with Point and Partners, we have .com.au, but we wouldn't want someone um, to obtain pointandpartners.au, so we've actually registered that for ourselves. And you've um, in Australia, you uh, Australian uh, domain owners have until the 24th of September to secure that before they open it to the rest of the world to obtain, okay? Right. So... Yep. Um, yeah, make sure you go and contact your service provider. Yeah, so as you said, very valuable online real estate to get there, that you've got the first use opportunity before it gets released to the public because you don't want to have someone type in .au and think it's you, but yeah. it's not. That's right. <laughs> and that's you know, you've right. got no so... uh, legal backing to uh, be able to say, hang on a minute, no, they can't have that because you've lost that legal right. So it's good that they've yeah. given that opportunity. So anyway, mm. Ben, I'll... Okay. I'll let you go there because I know you've got a mountain of work to uh, continue on. But again, once once again, thank you so much for giving up your time with uh, myself, Louis Bulzomi, and uh, Southern Cross Business Advisors podcast, Shooting for the Stars. Thank you. No worries. So uh, again, if you wanted to contact Ben, you can get her via LinkedIn or, of course, uh, check out Point and Partners. Uh, look them up on their uh, Google search and hey. Anywhere else that you can find it, whether it's Bing or anywhere else, they will show up and you will uh, get on to Bing and she will certainly assist you with all matters trademarks. So that wraps up a uh, very monster edition of Shooting for the Stars, but uh, certainly worth the while. I reckon an hour and a half is probably cutting it too short with what we could definitely continue to discuss. We will definitely have to get Bing on again to go even further with uh, some other great examples regarding trademarks and other forms of uh, protection law with regards to businesses and brands and logos. Until next time, here at Southern Cross Business Advisors, all our clients have life goals and we're here to help them identify and achieve them and Ben's here to help protect them with trademarks. Goodbye.